Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain. Each episode, we bring together leaders across the supply chain space to discuss the role of technology and business model innovation on the future of supply chain. The Future of Supply Chain podcast is presented by Dynamo. Dynamo is a pre-seed and seed stage supply chain investor. To learn more about Dynamo and this show, head over to www.dynamo.vc slash podcasts or subscribe on the platform of your choice. Now let's get into the show. Here's our host, Santosh Sankar. Hey, ladies and gents, welcome back to the Future Supply Chain Podcast. I'm your host, Santosh Sankar. Joining me today is Zvi Schreiber, founder and CEO of Fredos. Welcome, Zvi. Hey, good to be on. Great to have you. And I'm excited to talk about all things uh, related to international logistics and marketplaces. And you know, there's few people as qualified as you, Zvi, to talk about this, given Fredos is sitting at the intersection of these two concepts. And with that, we'd love to kick it off and understand your story, because this is not your first entrepreneurial foray. And, and we'll be curious how we got here. Yeah, sure. Yeah, as you said, I've been, a, I started my career as a software engineer and, and studied, did a PhD in computer science. And, and for many years, I was creating software. Uh, I was a software entrepreneur. The way I learned about international logistics is in 2010, 2011, I became CEO of a company called Litec, making electronic power supplies for LED lights. And just for just for two years, then I had the chance to sell that to GE Lighting. And during those two years, it was the only time in my career that I was dealing with hardware and inventory and sourcing in Asia and uh, and shipping. And we were shipping on a daily basis from China to the to the North America, from China to Europe, by ocean, by air. And uh, this, this is where I discovered to my amazement that shipping is very old-fashioned. It's done in the same way that it was done in the 20th century. Sometimes it's done in the same way that it was done in the 19th century. And that kind of shocked me. You know, I was, I was expecting that shipping a container would be like booking a flight online or, or like shopping on Amazon. I was expecting it all to be self-service, transparent, you know, and, and it was anything but. So as soon as I sold that company in 2011, and then in 2012, I said, okay, well, you know, we're going to create booking.com or Expedia for, for international freight, bring this whole industry online. Of course, it's a, it's a very complicated industry. So I knew that to some extent. I've, I've discovered that even more over the last eight years. So it was not a, not a simple matter. And we're still, you know, we're making good progress, still got a lot of work to do. But but yeah, that that was uh, that, that was the genesis of Freitas. Just just seeing that there's this massive important industry which is uh, which has been left behind. That's awesome, and you know I know my team member here, Rachel, actually found one of the technical papers you've written uh, recently around the K root N algorithm, and yeah. uh, I'd be curious, like, how do you balance your interests and the importance of being connected to the technical world? with being a CEO and scaling up the Fredos organization? Yeah, I guess like everyone, you, you have some sort of work-life ba uh, balance. I mean, given the, the size and complexity of Fredos, I do spend a lot of time on my work, but it still leaves me some time to, to keep, you know, keep up my interest in computer science and, and uh, physics and economics sometimes. That paper specifically was, was interesting because... There's a lot of talk about blockchain in for supply chain for for international logistics. A lot of people think that blockchain is a solution to that, and that that's partly so. It was partly Freitas that got me to really deep dive into a blockchain, 
and uh, to, to come to the conclusion I came up with this idea which which resulted resulted in the paper that your your colleague found but in the end I also came to the conclusion that blockchain actually isn't going to contribute that much to supply chain unlike what a lot of other people think <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think we likely are in the same boat although I'm happy to be proven wrong yes our our, our forays as, as well have have tended to, to prove similar. Yeah, I just maybe just add a word of clarity. I mean, I think there's a lot to be contributed by having data standards and more formal contracts and, and digital signatures. So I think all of those things are very, very valuable. Blockchain itself adds a lot of complexity without necessarily adding a lot of value. So, so I don't think, I think sometimes people sort of confuse the things. They say we need blockchain. What they really mean is we need standardized digitized contracts, which I agree with. Uh, and standardized digitized documents, which I agree with, but I'm not sure. You know, blockchain was really designed for Bitcoin, and I think that's where that's where it's what it's best for. <laughs> so, uh, kind of leaning into Fredos, you know, what what are you and your team enabling for the customers that you serve and build technology and service for? Yeah, so it's it's all about you know doing international shipping in a in a modern way, in a digitized way. It starts with Freitos.com, which is where the any shipper, any importer or exporter can go to Freitos.com and get instant competitive price quotes, accurate, binding, door-to-door -door price quotes in a fully transparent way from dozens of service providers. But then behind the scenes, so that's the most sort of public part of, of the Freitos group is Freitos.com. But then, of course, behind the, behind the scenes, we have to help the service providers, the, the freight forwarders generally, to automate their, their buying and their selling. So, so we have a, a subsidiary web cargo, which connects the freight forwarders to the carriers, in some cases live through APIs, in other cases it's still Excel. But we're able to get all the rates you know, from the carriers to the freight forwarders and then from the freight forwarders to the shippers. And then when the shipper wants to book, we can get a digital instant booking from a shipper uh, that is an importer or an exporter to the freight forwarder and also from the freight forwarder uh, to the carrier so it's a it's a booking platform which connects all the parties so that they can all see uh, all see rates and all place bookings and as i said the most public part of that is freightos.com where where the ultimate custom customer the importer or exporter can get quotes and place bookings uh, instantly and you know you'd mentioned that you had observed this problem at a prior business you led it, was there like a single discrete aha moment where you were looking in and saying like, this is broken, this should not be the way it is. Therefore, I want to go make it part of my life's work to modernize these <laughs> workflows. I mean, <laughs> we had that aha moment uh, over again every single day. <laughs> you, know, when you want to ship a container from China to America. I mean, just by the way, we still, till this day, Freitas every year, we just did it recently, every year we do a survey where we, we, we take an import company who, who sort of uh, partner with us as a ghost, you know, mystery shopper. And uh, we, we ask the 20 biggest freight forwarders in the world for a price quote for shipping a container from uh, China to the US. And, you know, when we started, none of them were giving instant quotes on their websites. Now a handful do, but the majority are still taking one or two or three days to, to give you a simple price quote for shipping a container to the you know from china to america which is the world's sort of biggest 
you know, trade routes. We've even had a, a very, very famous freight forwarder who, who I won't name right now, sending us a price quote after 30 days. We'd already published the survey, so it wow. was too late to, you know, that, that was last year. But I mean, that if that isn't an aha moment, I mean, it's, it's sort of more like a, more like, what? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I mean, we, 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 you know, every time back in the company in 2011, every time we shipped a, a, a container from China to US, I'm, I'm like, wait a second, we're not the first people to ship a, sh- a container from China to US, are we? This has been done once or twice before or, or tens of thousands of times every day before. Why is it taking you two days to get me a price quote? It, it just didn't make any sense. You know, and it still doesn't, although now, now <laughs> through our efforts and some other efforts, it started to change. So so some some significant proportion of the of the transactions are done in a more automated way. But still, the majority of transactions are done just like they were done decades ago. And, you know, in order to level set the knowledge for our listeners, would you be able to walk us through the the key modules, pricing, selection, booking, tracking that one would navigate when booking a container east to west or in whichever direction? Yeah, I mean, you know, in the end, if you're the importer, uh, you, you don't want to know about any of that. You just want a, a price to move stuff from A to B. A is quite often a factory in in Southeast Asia or China, but it could be also in Europe or or somewhere else or South America. B might be if you're if you're in America, then B is probably your your warehouse or or sometimes more and more retailers are using Amazon's warehouses or other third party warehouses. So so you don't really want to care about everything on, along the way. I mean, typically when when you do get a price quote, it's got like 20, 30, 40 surcharges. The Panama Canal surcharge and the peak surcharge and the sulfur, the whatever. I won't bore you with all the surcharges. But you don't care about any of that. You just want a time and a price, you know, to, to get the container from A to B. What's happening behind the scenes, of course, is you're typically working with a freight forwarder. And what they need to do is then piece it all together and figure out a, a route and, and how much is the truck from the factory to the port and how much is the port handling, say in Shanghai or Shenzhen, and then the ship, and and, and then it gets it to a port in the US, so, that, so you've got the port fees in the US, and you've got customs, you've got to get it, get it through customs clearance. And then finally, uh, there may be a train if it's inland, and then there's going to be a truck for the, for the last few miles. So the freight forwarder has to piece all of that together. The problem being that there are many, many ocean carriers and, and hundreds of thousands of trucking companies in the world, and, and dozens of airlines and so and the rates are changing and the rates are complicated so so they need to piece all of that together mm. in order to give you the quote but you don't want to know about any of that you just want to know what's it going to cost and how long is it, is it going to take yeah and actually we've ended up on fredos.com doing a combination of both so when you search on fredos.com we tell you just the price and the transit time we tell you sort of the basic route which ports is going through but but that's it we tell you Total door-to-door transit time, door-to-door price, but but still, many of our customers, for just for historic reasons, they want to see all the surcharges and make sure that everything's included. So you can, you can just book like that, or you can expand and see the full breakdown of all the twenty, thirty different charges which have which have gone into that price quote. If you if you're sort of traditional and you want to com- you want to sort of double check that everything's in there. Mm. Yeah, so c- kind of taking what is a overly complex experience, oftentimes with a lot of data that that might not be relevant for most people, and and really simplifying that. And by simplifying it, you just have a a much more elegant way of booking freight. 
at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But then, you know, that's exactly the experience for the end customer who, who we call a shipper, but it's an importer or exporter, right? typically a retailer, could be a manufacturer. But but there's a whole chain behind that. So in order to give them, in order to give the, the importer the experience they need, we need to make sure that the freight forwarder has got the, the proper automation, the proper routing algorithm, the proper data. Uh, and in order to do that, we need to connect the freight forwarders to, to the carriers. And there's a lot of different carriers and there's 100,000 freight forwarders in the world. So that's why it becomes quite a complicated problem. And, you know, so how do you bring an ecosystem that has upwards of three parties together in this digital medium, right? You, you alluded to you have the shipper, the importer, exporter, you have the forwarder, but equally you might have a trade bank in the middle, you have dray providers, like, like in order to make this simple solution, there's actually a lot of complexity in the back that you abstract away. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's a complex problem. So we do it in stages. For the first few years, everything we did was an Excel sheet. So the carriers would email us the Excel sheets and then we'd get those into a database. And the Excel sheets are big and non-standard, but, but we created scripts to sort of standardize all of that. As time went on, we, we sort of took it to the next level and we worked with, with the carriers to actually get a, a real-time API, a real-time connection where we can get the rates at the rates and the capacity and the booking, uh, you know, computer to computer. So that's obviously the the future, but that's still maybe, you know, 10% of our business, but it's growing very rapidly and taking over from all the emailed Excel sheets. We also created, you know, twin platforms, one platform called WebCargo, which connects the carriers to the, to the freight forwarders, another one, which is called Freightos, which connects the forwarders to the shippers. And now, as, as both of those mature, we, we bring it together. So in some cases, at least, we can get a rate from the carrier to the forwarder to, to the shipper, all in real time, and get the booking going from the shipper to, to the forwarder to the carrier, all in real time. In other cases, it's sort of hybrid. In other cases, the shipper books on freighters.com automatically, but then the freight forwarder actually calls up the carrier or, or refers to an Excel sheet. So, so it's still not... I can't say that every transaction is digital, you know, end to end, but more and more of it is. And some of the transactions are, yeah, some of the transactions are fully digital end to end and some are partially digital and, and partly still uh, there's humans involved. And with that, you know, we've spent time thus far in the conversation talking about the maritime aspect of Freydos, but you have very aggressively and successfully so gone into the air freight industry and you're building these direct connectivities with the carriers. Could you detail that for us? Yeah. So that's been a very exciting area. We call it digital air cargo or DAC. The amazing thing about it is that it took so long to happen because I, I always laugh when I talk with, with our partners, the airlines, because digitization for passenger flying started, believe it or not, in 1963. Of course, there was no web, but there were there were electronic connections. American Airlines started a, a platform called Sabre, which is still uh, still a big part of the industry in the sixties. And a sophisticated travel agent with the right kind of uh, computer could actually electronically book a passenger seat in the nineteen sixties. Now, <laughs> cargo got just a little bit behind. You know that kind of started with in two thousand nineteen. With Lufthansa was our first partner who gave us, uh, you know, what nowadays would call an API, an electronic connection for getting rates and making bookings. Uh, and then in 2020, it started to gain a lot of momentum. And by now we have, 
over a dozen of the top airlines in the world have got a you know fully onboarded with digital air cargo and more almost every month we're adding another major carrier just uh, last month uh, or the month before we added qatar airways who number one in the world and that's taking off if you look excuse the pun that's taking off fantastic <laughs> it's, yeah, it's grown over a thousand percent year on year so, so it's really it's growing tens of percent every single month so that's very exciting to see this this industry that got really left behind but is now catching up very rapidly and and very much using our web cargo platform as the as the foundation where they're doing that and you know is it safe to say that in the air industry then while saber did exist a lot of the the practical workflow that uh, you're able to make much more elegant it was passed back and forth in spreadsheet email type mediums yeah i mean it still is so we have you know we've got a dozen major carriers um who are now fully digitized and partnered, you know, connected with us. And but they represent maybe they represent just over 30% of the world capacity. So that's great. But there's still there's still 70%. <laughs> there's still 70% of the airlines who, who have no capability to receive a booking electronically. So everything's done by phone and email, and all the rates are sent by Excel. And then even the 30% who are digitized, it doesn't mean that all their transactions are digitized so the actual number of air cargo transactions which are booked fully digitally is probably probably hasn't reached 10% yet although it's like i said it's growing very rapidly but yeah you know most air cargo is still booked by email and phone and and with the rates from a spreadsheet as you can imagine i mean one one of the catalysts for moving this forward has, has obviously been the the pandemic because things are changing so rapidly and nowhere more so than in air you know, airlines are, are canceling flights and, and uh, rescheduling flights and converting passenger planes into cargo planes, into freighters. So the idea, I mean, the idea that people are still trying to do this from a spreadsheet when things are changing every single day just makes no sense. And 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 people are still trying that, but, but this has certainly been a catalyst. Everyone's now realized that you need real-time information. And is there something, is it product? Is it change management? Is there something that you think the market broadly is waiting for to embrace this capability of pushing a transaction through entirely digitally? Maybe it's a number um, of things. No, there's no one thing. It's it's just that there are a lot of, you know, moving pieces. You've got the trucks and the trains and, and river barges and ocean liners and airlines and, and customs brokers. Uh, and then each of those, those are very fragmented markets, most of them. You know, there's dozens of ocean liners and hundreds of airlines and, and hundreds of thousands of trucking companies. So so it just takes time to, you know, to adopt to, to adopt standards and to get you get the big players on your platform and then the smaller ones you know sort of follow in the in the in the years so it's it's definitely a process but there, there's no specific barrier the fact is it's happening and the fact is we have some airlines and some ocean liners and and, and quite a few freight forwarders in total we work with 2,000 freight forwarders who are at least partly digitized so it's all happening it just takes uh, patience and persistence so you you mentioned the COVID impact a few moments ago. I'd be interested your take on the maritime logistics industry, right? Like things like when do you think supply of containers will normalize? When might pricing normalize? Do you have a position hmm. on that sitting in between all the action? Well, what we do have is a lot of data 
uh, on what's happening, not on what's going to happen, of course. But we we publish the leading index now every every single day of, of ocean prices. It's called the Freitas Baltic Index. It's in partnership with the Baltic Exchange uh, or FBX, and and it's uh, we we publish that. And a lot of the data is available for free on fbx.freitas.com, and so that's where people are going now to see on a daily basis. And, and it is that volatile. But by the way, container prices are more volatile than the stock market. More vol volatile than commodities. This is a very, very volatile price, even before COVID, and even more so in the last year. So we do provide the data for people to know what's happening on any given day in terms of the prices. I've learned not to predict what's going to happen. I mean, let's be perfectly honest. I didn't predict that prices would, would peak in the second half of last year. I don't think anybody did. I think everyone assumed that the, that the pandemic would be a, a drag on world trade. I didn't see any significant <laughs> person predicting that this would, you know, the volumes and prices would reach such peaks, and and I didn't. So, uh, I didn't either. So, I'm going to be modest and not pretend that I can predict what happens next. But but we can give the data, so actually, at least you see what's happening day by day. And do you have a similar kind of data oriented approach in regards to the air freight markets as well? Uh, that's a great question. So we have we have tons of data for air. We have not yet published any of that. We do have plans, but on on a private basis, we do provide data for people who need data data on what's happening in air cargo, and we are working to to provide some some public data in the same way that we do for ocean. Ooh, we will certainly be on the lookout for that for sure. So I'm going to shift gears here and talk a little bit about business building, and. You know, when we sit down as investors and we see marketplace type businesses, and we spend our life at the earliest stage. So oftentimes these businesses are in their infancy. And the one thing we do is we throw out the notion of the marketplace and we try to default to and have the founder focus around the core workflow that exists in the industry amongst the stakeholders and lean in on digitizing that process for all of these stakeholders at the table. And thus far, we believe this ends up ultimately leading to what one might call a marketplace business or a marketplace type business and all the dynamics uh, that are involved there. I'd be curious your reaction to that, you know, thoughts, insults, what have you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, marketplaces, are obviously, we're very much a, a marketplace or a platform, really two platforms, you know, one connecting the importers and exporters to the freight forwarders, and then another connecting the freight forwarders to the carrier. So, so we end up really having two, two two-sided marketplaces, if you like. And yeah, as you, as you know, as well as I do, the, the marketplaces are tough businesses because you need to get to the critical mass. You need to solve the chicken and egg. Uh, and B2B marketplaces have extra complexity because of the, the more complex interactions, the, the conservatism. But of course, you know, it's a powerful thing when it works. Then it's just exciting to see the growth and, and how it's sort of really people, you know, come on, on board. So I think what's very important, you know, we always knew we wanted to be a marketplace, but, but we, we partly appreciated and learned more with time just how much time and investments, you know, this is going to take. So it's it's key to have also the right investors, right, who are going to sit down like you do and, and understand the process and then plan and put in the right, you know, give the right amount of time and the right amount of capital 
to do what needs to be done to build a marketplace. Yep, yep. It, it is absolutely, I think, function of time as well. And you, you've certainly made that statement throughout the, the conversation that some of these things will just take time. And that might be several years in some instances. It could stretch closer to a decade in, in other instances. You know, shifting my next point here, you know, oftentimes we find that investors, maybe even customers, value industry domain knowledge. And I'd be curious, you have a very technical bent. You're a repeat operator. How has all this contributed to your success leading Fredos as a whole? Well, I didn't have, I had very little, you know, industry domain knowledge, if, if that's what you're asking. You know, I did not come from, I'd, I'd had a couple of years as a customer of international shipping, but I'd never been exposed to what happens inside a freight forwarder or inside a carrier. So in contrast to conventional, I won't say wisdom because I don't believe that to be the case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a tough question because there's advantage advantages to the fresh, you know, outside view, and but there's advantages to industry domain. And, and there's no single answer to, to which is better, right? <laughs> You can make a lot of mistakes if you don't have industry do- domain. But if you have, if you come from the the with the domain knowledge, you can get stuck in a rut of of assuming things have to be done how they were done. So there's, there's no, the the best I think you know in the team we end up with a mixture. The majority we have 200 people now, and the vast majority of them are not from the industry. But but we have a few key people who are. So so they put us right when we, and by now I've been doing this for eight years. So by now I consider myself an industry guy, but I certainly wasn't for the first years. So I think the ideal thing is to have a team which has a mixture of the domain knowledge and the and the fresh view. Kind of specific to you, I, I read somewhere that you prefer open floor plans to kind of traditional offices. I'd be curious why. <laughs> ah, well, but by now I think that's sort of the standard, isn't it? Uh, I don't, you can see, your listeners can't see, but you can see the perhaps the open office I'm sitting in right now. I think it's just the modern, I think, first of all, this is not unusual. You know, the, the majority of high-tech companies I know are open office now. And it, it just, you know, leads to more collaboration somehow and honestly less distractions. At the moment, there's so many... <laughs> So many distractions from social media when, you know, once you're sort of sitting away from the team, somehow having the team sitting together keeps people, yeah, it keeps people focused together as, as a team on the, on the business. Mind you, of course, now with COVID, a lot of the team have been uh, working from home as well. But yeah, so I, I also, as the CEO, I have, you know, I sit in the open space. Uh, sure, quite often I have to duck into a, into a meeting room to take private calls by the nature of my work. Uh, other people do that as well. But yeah, we, we do have a culture where everyone, at least when they're not s- stuck at home due, due to lockdown, everyone is sitting in an open space. <laughs> yeah, you know, we've seen a mixture across our portfolio specifically, and, and sometimes that's kind of different from company to company, but more so within a company, you might see some type of a division where like engineers or, or rather quiet workers tend to have more of an environment conducive to that. And almost by default, the sales go to market sitting in that open environment. Mm. But here, lastly, as we wrap up, Zvi, you know, if you were not building Fredos, 
where else might you be focusing your energy on as we think about supply chain and very broadly defined at that when I say supply chain? Well, I, I do think, I think you're right that even if I wasn't doing freight, I'd, I'd probably be doing something in supply chain. Of course, there's lots of other, you know, there's lots of interesting plays in, in consumer and there's lots of interesting plays in fintech. But those are also very, very crowded fields. There, there are many, many thousands of startups in those fields. I think the sort of business-to-business -business supply chain, especially cross-border, just has still a lot of uh, issues uh, to solve. It's, it's, you've got to be an entrepreneur's patient. You've got to have investors who've got deep pockets and patience. These aren't trivial problems, but they're definitely some of the biggest opportunities in the world around, uh, like you said, around supply chain and particularly uh, cross-border supply chain. Awesome. Well, with that, Zvi, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day and chatting with us about international marketplace and specifically what you and the team are doing at Freydos. And look forward to seeing here later this year as you open up and, and share a bit more of the data around the air freight industry, as I know you're doing some great work bringing digital capabilities to that part of the supply chain. Thanks, Santosh. Absolutely. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star review and tell us what you liked. And be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Until next time.